Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, good evening to you. Good evening to you too. Um, it's nice to be here. <laughs> <laughs> what a complete lie that is. I know. <laughs> I know. We're recording later than usual because you've been away this weekend doing uh, your, your comedy stylings uh, you know, on stage for for people and what have you. Uh, but it seems yeah. to have had an effect. We are, um, we, we appear to be trending on Twitter. Just the hashtag Arscast Extra is trending on Twitter, such as the, I guess, interest or car crashiness of this particular podcast. People are, people are on board. Yeah. We last, last, uh, last I saw, we're just trailing Spider-Man and the word Duchess right. uh, in, in, in the UK. What has the word Duchess got to do with anything? I think a duchess is having a baby. Oh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who got married to Prince Harry. Yeah, something like that. It's right. like that. Okay. Yeah, she 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 was uh, having a baby. Okay, well, good for her, I guess. Um, Congratulations. And, yeah. You know, let's look for all the, all the good news we can. I it's suppose. a rare event. Um, you know, babies being born doesn't happen every day, so... Uh, that's true, yeah. But why not make a fuss, especially? I guess so. I guess so. Okay. Uh, well, did you... I presume you had a good weekend? I had a lovely weekend yeah. until approximately... I'd say about sort of five o'clock on Sunday and mm. things really started to take a turn. Um, yeah. Maybe slightly later than that, but yeah. yeah. It, it, Sunday afternoon was a bit of a, a downer for me. How about you? Yeah, the same. I mean, they don't make it easy for us. They haven't made it easy for us, have they, this, this last couple of weeks? It's been quite the... Let me see. I need to choose my words carefully here yeah. because uh, I feel like with all this trending on Twitter, there's there's added pressure scrutiny. to scrutiny, yeah, to 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 phrase things just right. But it has been a massive bag of shit. Yeah, a really big bag of shit. It, it, uh, you know, a sack of shit, maybe. Yeah. Absolutely, like yeah, some other container that's bigger than a sack. What's bigger than a sack that isn't a skip? A skip full of shit. A skip of shit. That's exactly what it is. Because skips are terrible anyway, aren't they? They're they're sort of old and rusty looking, and it's just filled to the brim with Arsenal shit. The last few mm. weeks. So, so there we go. I you, you said you had notes. Like I had notes last week. You've got yeah. notes this week. This yeah. is this is what's happening here. I mean. Do you want to maybe start with your notes? Are they, you know, is there things you want to talk about in in a particular order? Where do we go? Uh, I mean, you know, I don't know. I mean, I feel like last week on the show there was a kind of 
uh, a bit of a perception that I was sort of the more positive of the two. It's going to yeah. be hard to be quite positive on this one, I think. Well, I mean, if 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 you were perceived to be the more positive, that could still very yeah. well be the case. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is relative, I guess. It is uh, relative. No, it's an absolute uh, disaster, really, as yeah. a result. A sh- like a really, really terrible result, uh, particularly when you saw what happened the day before, you know, when mm. when uh, Tottenham lost, you know, know, to nine or nine man Tottenham eventually lost to, to Bournemouth. And I was watching that game going, Jesus, Bournemouth are so bad. But, you know, if they could if they could sneak a win here against the nine men, that would that would set us up perfectly for our game. And then Manchester United drew with Huddersfield. And you're thinking, yes, you know, it's it's on. OK, Chelsea won. But, you know, that was not unexpected, really. And then we went out and did what we did. And I don't know. It's like there's some sort of force field or kryptonite or whatever it is. Where do we start? The team selection? I didn't really have a problem with the team selection, did I, you? Yeah, I, no, I don't really think it's about the team selection in this instance. And actually, no. it, you know, in a couple of these instances, we are just in an absolutely diabolical run. Our Premier League form, although it's been punctuated by these European wins, is dire. I mean, it's as bad a run of results as I can remember. Mm. Um and I, I keep sort of expecting us to kind of level out and I sort of think it won't carry on going. And Brighton at home, I mean, was the sort of the gimme of gimmies. Um, I think, you know, we all sort of thought, well, look, maybe Palace might be tricky. But mm. Brighton, especially a Brighton team who, let's not forget, had had their survival secured the previous day as well. So had nothing really at stake, nothing to play for. But pride. They had pride, James. Well... Maybe they did. I mean, I don't know how much pride there was in the Arsenal team. Not very much. Um, uh, yeah. I, I mean, the team selection, I suppose, the only thing I would talk about is that the the orientation of the midfield was a bit odd, I but felt. It, it was a diamond, wasn't it? It was, it yeah. was you know, Torreira to the right, Mkhitaryan to the left, Xhaka at the base and, and Ozil to flit around and do his Ozil stuff at... You know, a sort of number 10 position behind two strikers who could work together and work wide and, uh, you know. I guess in theory it, it worked. In practice, I mean, and it has worked at other times this season. I thought in yeah. practice it, it, it wasn't brilliant. But, I, yeah, I, it, listen, everything else that happened this weekend set it up so perfectly. And, I look, I know we're not the only team between third and sixth who's made a hash of this running, but... As an Arsenal fan, it's completely maddening, isn't it? And when you look yeah. at how close we are to Spurs, I mean, it's a three-point gap, and you think of the fixtures that we've had and the opportunities that we've had. Oh, where do you stand on that? Because people will say, you know, it's only we're only three points off. I know it's been terrible, but really, we're only three points off third. To me, that makes it worse. That makes it worse, the fact that we're, we're only three points off. Everyone else has been so terrible, and I can't explain to you. I really 
cannot explain to you how little of a shit I give about how bad the other teams around us have been, as if that's some kind of justification for us being bad. People saying, well, you know, the other teams, they don't seem to want, they're having a difficult time too, you know, but I was just like, who gives a fuck? We had an amazing opportunity over the last couple of weeks to secure top four, and I know mm-hmm. top four is not the be-all and end-all, it's not a trophy, and we still have an actual trophy to play for, but man alive. I mean... <sighs> yeah, and and I don't buy the sort of spin that the focus is absolutely on the Europa League. And no. I, I just... I just don't really buy that. I don't believe Emery's lineups have suggested that he's sort of throwing the Premier League or anything like it. Yeah. I think we've tried to win these games. And we just haven't been good enough to do it. Yeah, I think that is true. And that's sort of more alarming in in some ways. I I mean, the only only reason that I think the other team's results are, are relevant in any way is, you know, is there a sort of bigger picture... Uh, about the fact that the clubs who, particularly the clubs who've been in the Europa League, like Chelsea, you know, they are, they are struggling to replicate their form in the Premier League, you know, and maybe, maybe there is a case to be made for that. But I still, I still think we should be winning not even all of these games, but some. Oh, even our two home games. Imagine if we'd yeah. won against Palace and, you know, we can be as shit as we can be away from home and we all know how shit that is. But if we'd won our two home games, how much healthier would this league table look right now well, we'd be third we'd, be, we'd third. be third you know it's just yeah you know so i don't i'm not buying into that like the others the others being bad only makes us look worse as far as i'm concerned because the only reason we're three points off third is because all the other teams have been terrible too but that's not to excuse how terrible we've been and when you think about the the last six games we go to Everton and we lose to a 54-year-old man who hasn't scored in whatever since I don't know when. Jagielka, you know, he wasn't even mm. supposed to play that day. We mm. win the game against Watford with a freaky goal and they go down to 10 men. And then from the remaining four games, we've got one point? One yeah. point? It's it's really, really bad um, to, to have got to this position of the season and... I know this is something that that has been said before, but like this sort of this excuse making, I think it's excuse making when people say, well, where did you expect Arsenal to be really at the start? Where did you expect them to be? And I probably expected us to be kind of where we are Mm -hmm. right now, but you can't just look at it in isolation. You can't look at it without the context of how we are where we are, you know? And it's the fact that we've we've blown such an amazing opportunity to get top four, which I think, you know, people say, well, we still have the Europa League. I think it would maybe be beneficial for us in the Europa League if we had already secured top four, because it takes some of the pressure off. Yeah, of course. I mean, you can play the kids if you want in the top four at that point. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's a difficult one that I think the thing of, you know, what did you expect? Because I think that, you know, if the games were played in a different order, but we ended up with the same result, it would obviously change people's perception. Mm. But the reality is that expectations do shift within the course of a season. You know, it's like in many times in the past, 
we let's say we were expecting top four, we had a good start to the season, suddenly we found ourselves in a title race. It's not like if we then fell out of the title race in March, we'd be like, oh, well, I never thought we were going to be in it, so yeah, yeah, I yeah. don't care. You know, you're, you know, once you get to a final, you want to win it. You don't go, well, I never thought we'd be here, so... Yeah, who cares? You know, it's fine to lose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I think when you look at the run that we had, and I think sort of off the back of the Spurs and United games, which were sort of back in March, weren't they? Mm. Uh, we came through those incredibly well, I thought, mm-hmm. you know, really strong. And at that point, you looked at the fixed list and thought, this is really there for us to do. And actually, part of the reason that even after, say, the Everton match, I was like, I still think we'll get the top four, um, was because I just looked at those fixtures and thought, I think this team will win some of those games. And I'm so uh, disappointed and a little bit baffled, to be honest, as to why. I don't think it's easy to say why. Right. Got no, such bad results. I don't think it is either. I mean, I think there there isn't one reason for it. There's a number of reasons. There are m- yeah. multiple reasons. I think uh, Unai Emery is one. I don't think he's managed these last games particularly well. I think the players are another because uh, some of these players have, have not performed. Even if you think they're not good enough, and I would agree with many people uh, and Uh, many opinions on these players that they're not good enough to do what we would ultimately like them to do. I still think they're capable of better than what we've seen in the last few weeks, you Mm -hmm. know, and uh, you know, there's fatigue as well to take into account. It's been a busy schedule in, in April. Um, I, I think we can all see that, but you know, when you look at our most disappointing results this season, beyond the five, one at, Liverpool, which was kind of an aberration when you look at our games against the top six, the most disappointing results and performances have been against the smaller clubs, the smaller teams. So you lose to, you draw with Brighton away, uh, you lose to West Ham away, you lose to Southampton away, you... Uh, what else? I mean, obviously, we lose to Bate Borisov. This weekend. Uh, you know, this home. weekend. Yeah, you know, all, all of those things. Rem- and then and then also you go through some of the games from earlier in the season when perhaps they might have gone the other way. You know, the Cardiff game, uh, which was a 3-2 away from home. Th- there were games where during that unbeaten run that we had, you know, we, we kind of got a little bit of luck going our way um, against some of the, the, the smaller sides. So Emery's, it, it seems to me that after 37 games, Unai Emery's strength as a manager is when we face the bigger teams. Mm-hmm. Is when we're facing Chelsea, United, Tottenham, uh, Manchester City, uh, Manchester United. Those are the games in which he's performed well and I think those games have sort of instilled or instilled a certain amount of faith in us and that faith has been eroded by the way that we've set up the way that we've played and the results that we've got against some of the smaller teams yeah and I would add to that list of bigger teams uh Napoli yeah and and possibly Valencia was you know we'll see how the second leg goes but certainly on the, the back of the first leg and actually I think that that's a sort of more accurate observation than to say this is a guy who's sort of brilliant in the Europa League and not good in the Premier League. I think he is 
good in the big games and bad against some of the smaller teams. And, you know, we weren't great against the smaller teams in the group stages, even of the Europa League. Mm. So I feel like that's accurate, what you've said there. And um, it's really come to roost, I think, in this recent run. And I think, yeah, it has eroded a lot of the goodwill, hasn't it? I mean, if I look online and look what people are saying about the coach and the way fans feel right now, you know, I think this is definitely the kind of low point for Emery, which, you know, considering we're on the brink of a, a final, it tells you quite how bad it's been in the league. Yeah, but I think also it's because of what the league means. It's your bread and butter, you know. That's what you judge your season on, that a, you know, a, a cup run. I'm not playing it down in any way, and I, I sincerely hope that we go all the way in the Europa League because it would be amazing. You know, it's not really the thing on which you can judge a team and a manager and its players as much as a a league campaign. So I think that's Mm -hmm. what's been really, it's been really disappointing and really disheartening. And I think as well, another part of it is, certainly in relation to yesterday's game, is that we started really brightly. You know, we hit the post early on. We were ahead after nine minutes, you know, and that's usually the thing which allows us to play well, perform well, and achieve a good result is an early goal. Um, you know, the, the and penalty- this was a game in which we had kind of an incentive to chase goal difference. You know, I think we, yes. we'd done a lot of harm to our goal difference in recent weeks. And at the start of this game, I was thinking if we can get a few against Brighton, it will really help. And an early goal was exactly what you would have yeah. wanted in that respect. Um, but it, it, it was almost like that bright start just seemed to fade away really and even though Brighton sort of came with almost no ambition even when they did break forward they managed to look dangerous and our defending I mean I know they think there are problems in attack as well as defence but I do think the sort of the defending of this team Mm. you know the way that we conceded the equaliser is just maddening I, I really almost am running out of things to say about it um, I mean, do you want to go there? I mean, do you do do you want to talk about anything else in the game between the um, the Aubameyang penalty and the, well, just, the goal and the Brighton say, goal? I, I think both penalties are probably dives. Uh, I think. What did you make of it? Um, I think Monreal's was a dive, and I also think that the Brighton one was soft. Um, my initial thought was that he. He just sort of went down when he felt Xhaka touch his his arm. But I think maybe there was a clip of the heels as well. Um, I'm not 100% on that. I, you know, I think it was soft. But what I also think about the penalty that we conceded was that we have Anthony Taylor refereeing the game. And if you allow him to make any kind of decision like that, chances are it's not going your way. So I think there was an element of just sheer stupidity on the part of Xhaka in terms of how he defended. We know he's not a good defender. Defensively, his positioning is terrible, his body shape is terrible, his decisions are terrible. You know, he's he, he, the players get the wrong side of him all the time. He hauls them down, he pulls them back. You know, it's not a strength of his. No. Um, and I think I would rather he had left the man to drive into the box and we relied on, A, maybe our goalkeeper making a good save, which is not beyond the realms of possibility, given how he's been playing lately, or, you know, a centre-half getting in the way of it, or somebody else making, uh, you know, a block, or Brighton 
potentially just fucking it up because they're not that good. So it was a stupid decision from from Xhaka. Um, and I think we, we have to, as well, talk about Mkhitaryan's role in, in, the, uh, in the goal because he had a simple pass to make mm-hmm. outside him. It was a, it's like a bread-and-butter pass. And he just gave it away really, really carelessly. He did chase back, in fairness, you know, but chase back without getting anywhere near the ball. Um, but that was like, that was 60 minutes in. Yeah, there was a lot of time to potentially rescue that. Just on the Mkhitaryan thing, was there another game? Was it the Palace game where he kind of was involved in a sloppy bit of play in midfield and mm, someone scored? I think. There was certainly a game recently where that happened, but maybe Wolves, I don't know. But yeah, there was plenty of time to rescue it at that point. I was quite surprised changes weren't made before they were made. Were you surprised? Seven minutes. Yeah, were you surprised changes weren't made before Brighton scored? Because uh, I, I thought we were quite not poor. Particularly. I thought we were quite poor in that in that second half. But I was definitely surprised that it took him seventeen minutes after Brighton scored yeah. to make changes. What did you think of the substitutions? What did we have? So we had uh It won't be for Lichtsteiner. Yeah. Ganduzi uh, for Xhaka and Kolasinac for Mkhitaryan. I was surprised, particularly by Ganduzi's introduction, I have to say. You know, I could actually see the logic in putting Iwobi and Kolasinac on, but he then put them on separate flat flanks, which seems strange given that they've got a relatively effective partnership at times. Uh, I didn't really see the point and getting Gunduzi on. Like maybe he was worried about Shaka having been booked. Maybe he just wanted to haul Shaka off because mm. he was unhappy with him because of the penalty. Uh, I know you said on your blog you would have put Nketiah on. Yeah, I would have put Nketiah on because we needed a goal and he's a forward. Yeah. He's a striker. He's young and raw and we don't know what we're going to get from him. But I tell you what we potentially could get is a goal because yeah. he's got that as a, you know, as a player. Gunduzi, you know, this is not to be critical of him per se, but he hasn't made an assist all season long in the Premier League. He hasn't scored a goal all season long in the Premier League. And like you, I could see the logic of putting on Iwobi and Kolasinac because, you know, it gave us somebody on the right-hand side and it gave us somebody on the left-hand side when we went to three at the back. I could see that. But I don't know what Ginduzi was for. And as bad as Xhaka was, and he he was really bad uh, in, in this particular game, Mm. He does have the ability to deliver a good ball into the box from a set piece. Now, he didn't. He wasted some opportunities. But, you know, he did have a corner, I think, um, which Mustafi headed to the near post. The keeper made a good save. I think that was in in the first half. Um, He does have some range. So if you're going to take off that guy, why replace him with a guy who doesn't give you anything at all? Anything whatsoever from an attacking point of view in a game when you need a goal. I don't. No, I mean it was against Valencia, wasn't it? The Shaka created a goal for Lacazette and a good uh, a, and a good chance for Aubameyang as well. You know, he mm. was terrible. He had, but he ended the game with uh, having created three chances for Arsenal yesterday, Shaka. So um, yeah, I mean, I think what we are sort of talking around here is. You know, we're talking about Genduzi not having shots, and I think we spoke about that a few weeks ago. But there are two players in this team that I would back to score 
uh, and think might get you a goal. And I just don't think there are let, yeah. almost any others. All right, let me ask you another question. Um, and I saw people talk about this today and they said, well, look, he, what, what else did he have on the bench? What did he have on the bench, you know, that, that could have contributed uh, mm. in, in getting us a goal? And I'm thinking to myself, well, okay, you've got Gendouzi on the bench, right? So he's your midfield cover. Why do you also have El Nenny on the bench? I, yeah, I couldn't agree. Why couldn't you say, fuck it, you know, maybe I won't ever have to use this kid and I hope I don't have to use him, but on the off chance that this game is getting away from us and we need something different, somebody with a bit of a different skill set, why don't you have someone like Saka or Amici on the bench who in an emergency, which is what we had in this game, you then had another option. Even if you didn't use him, at least you had the potential. You know, you could think about, okay, what if I do this? What if I do that? You know? I think there's, mm-hmm. there's a, I, I think a, there's a cer- certain amount of caution to Emery that we've talked about in terms of his, uh, his approach to, to games and how he asks his team to play, but also in his team selections. I think there might, there might have been room for somebody on that bench who, you know, I mean, Eddie and Kedia came off the bench as a, an 18-year-old to rescue a, a Carabao Cup game against Norwich, didn't he? It was mm-hmm. hit and hope, but, you know, it worked. It was at least an option. I don't know what Elneny well, was going to give us. I, I think that's fair. I mean, I get the impression Emery doesn't massively fancy Nketiah, which is absolutely fine if he watches him and thinks he's not ready for the Premier League. But I think, yeah, give yourself another option. You know, give yourself a sacker there. There's no need for both Elneny and Genduzi. I do think that's a fair point. Uh, that said, we did create a couple of opportunities mm. and we didn't take them. You know, that's it was a big one for Alba, wasn't there, for Obama Yang? So, yeah, where well, he went for the kind of uh, scissor kick acrobatic attempt. Uh, mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that was from a Mikatarian cross, I forget now, but it, it, that was a really good chance. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any more. There was a ball away we whipped in from the right that just got away from Obama Yang. But, you know, I, I never felt that we would score, particularly. No, and, and Brighton looked. Quite dangerous on the break. They they really fucked up. They really fucked up a two on one, and also there was a, a good save a good as well save from, Leno. from Leno. And you know, I think something that frustrated me was the side of Lacazette in injury time, mm. dropping out to the left wing to pick up the ball and deliver a good ball. I think he did deliver a good cross, but like he should be in the middle because he's about the only, you know, along with, with Aubameyang, the only player we have on the pitch who might score us a goal. Uh, and I think that tells you something about the way the team is set up and about the way that we play. I saw an interesting tweet and I can't remember who it was from uh, and I apologise. Uh, and it was like, something along the lines of everyone's wondering what Unai Emery's style of play is. What if this is Unai Emery's style of play? And it was hard not to to kind of get on board with that a bit because, you know, why did we beat Valencia? Because basically the two strikers took it upon themselves to drive the team forward. 
It wasn't, I mean, I'm not taking anything away from the win, uh, which was brilliant, and the response from going a goal down, fantastic. But it was more about individuals driving us or or pushing us towards a victory than it being a success of our tactical approach on the night. Would that be fair? Yeah, I think so. It was It was too... Excellent strikers making the difference. Um, and that's been the case for quite a lot of this season. I, I suppose I think, yes, I suppose that this is Emery's style. We're witnessing it, aren't we? You know, you can only be judged on what you actually produce. The, the sort of caveat that I would add to that is that we have midfielders who, in Shaka, Mkhitaryan, Ozil, theoretically are these great creative players, uh, why aren't they (laughs) creating? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's absolutely fair. I mean, is it to do with the the individuals and their application or is it to do with the system and the way that they're being used? Or is it maybe a little from column A, a little from column B? I think it must be a bit from column A and column B. I mean, the whole question of Emery's identity, something I've been thinking about since the game, is that I kind of feel like Emery folded a little bit this season. In some ways, I know that he's been sort of widely lambasted for not playing Ozil and not playing Ramsey. But in some ways, I kind of admired him more when he at least took that stance. Because I thought, well, that's a bold decision that clearly has a kind of identity in mind what you're saying is these guys aren't part of the project we're going in this direction Mm. but when you kind of out of desperation and necessity go well I'll let these guys you know come back into the team and I'm not saying they didn't deserve it I'm not saying they didn't play well upon that especially Ramsey I mean he's been brilliant Mm. but I kind of feel at that point we sort of began to go backwards. I know the okay. results sure. were initially good, but in, we started looking like last season's Arsenal. Let, um, me, let me ask for you this. good and bad. Sure, OK. So if a manager comes in and takes a hard line on certain issues mm-hmm. and then midway through the season rolls back on those decisions, do you think it might affect the way that he's perceived by the players and thus have an effect on the work that he does and the decisions that he makes because they're going, well, if this is what it is now, what's to say in three months it won't be something different or the opposite? Potentially. I, I mean, it's the whole Ozil thing, you know, you could read it as, oh, he came back on Emery's terms or you could read back a, read it as you know, Emery's authority crumbled there. Uh, it's, it's very difficult to say without you know, knowing the intricacies of it. I would say watching the team, I don't... Sort of in some ways, most distressingly, I don't get the impression that they've kind of given up. I don't get the impression that they're not attempting to follow instructions. I don't get the impression that they, you know, don't like the coach. Sure, no, yeah, yeah, I'd agree. I I don't know, you know, there were times last season, let's say, in, in Arsenal's last season where I thought... I'm not sure these guys buy into this at all anymore. And weirdly, even though the results have been very bad in this run, I've not necessarily had that impression. And there have been times where I've seen players seemingly working pretty hard, but just not producing and not having 
quality and that's in some ways more concerning because you know it's like well it's easy to just go well they don't you know they've sold the manager out bang replace him but I'm not quite sure that is where we are it's a real head scratcher though I, I you know there are so many different reasons that we've been so bad of late what else have what what else have you got in your notes? I'm, <laughs> I'm curious. Uh, what else have I got in my notes? Uh, yeah, I, I've got something about the Aubameyang missed chances. I saw a lot of criticism for him after that game, and I do kind of think it's a bit ludicrous. He I, scored yeah. twenty five goals, you know, twenty six, isn't it? Twenty six no. now. No. Sorry, I don't. I don't think it's ludicrous. Because I understand the frustration behind it. Uh, he is a guy who misses a lot of chances. And when you're in a bad run of form, you know, w- when you do what we did against, who was it? Um, Ren, was it at home? Mm. Where mm. he scored a couple and then missed a couple oh, yeah. late on, but the game was pretty much won. I think, what was it, 3 0 uh, at that point? Yeah. You know, you can sort of suffer a couple of misses at 3-0, but when you really badly need a goal and he, he misses a chance that you would expect a striker of his quality and ability to score, I understand the frustration. I would say, though, that I do think that a 26-goal striker is about the least of our problems. You know, I think we have got other priorities when it comes to our team and rebuilding. You know, the idea that we should... Um, sacrifice somebody who's contributed uh, you know we we can't on one hand say this is uh, a team which lacks goal scorers and then sanction the departure of the leading goal scorer in the team I you know I don't know that that makes any sense actually I know that that makes absolutely no sense so I I, I get the frustration but at the same time we we have to contextualise it compartmentalise it to an extent well it, I'm just thinking on the top of my head here, thinking out loud, but is part of the frustration the fact that he misses a lot of chances? And we're saying there's only two, if you take Ramsey out, two players in this team who sort of score goals. Is it possible that it's kind of a function of Emery's system or style that the chances kind of only fall to the strikers? You know, that the that the midfield is constructed in such a way that mm. goal-scoring opportunities don't really come to other players and therefore when that striker, be it Aubameyang, you know, misses a couple of chances, it's that much more problematic. Yeah, a that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about it, but we do tend to create most of our chances by cutbacks into the box. And who's in the box either your strikers or somebody who's really good at arriving into the box mm. at the right time, someone like Aaron Ramsey. Yeah, so, and if you've got Ozil as a number 10, the chances are he's, he's not, that's not his skill set necessarily. No. You know, Shaka doesn't get into the box, Torreira doesn't get into the box, Genduzi, Alneni, they rarely run beyond uh, the penalty area, Mark, you know? So yeah. that might be... A factor and, and Kalasinac does get in behind but never really looks to shoot probably on instruction what mm. we suspect because I feel like last season he did shoot a little bit more frequently um, so that might be part of it I mean all my other notes really are about sort of what this means and what it means for the coach and what it means for I think next season realistically because 
you know, I saw there were a couple of questions saying, oh, you know, what do we do now against Burnley? And I'm sort of like, it doesn't matter what we do now against no, Burnley. No, Burnley, you know? fuck Burnley, it makes no difference. Like, we've fucked that yeah. already. Doesn't it, like, we, we cannot have an eight-goal turnaround um, with, with, with Tottenham. It's just that there's no point even considering that. So forget Burnley. Our season rests on what we do on Thursday against Valencia, and then... All going the well there. If we get to the final, what we do in that particular game—that is where, um, that's where this season rests. I mean, what if we didn't have the potential for a Europa League final, and we, you know, let's say we'd gone out against Napoli. Mm-hmm. I know it's just playing hypotheticals here. But if we'd just gone out against Napoli, but we still had that great position in the Premier League with games against mid-table, not particularly high-quality opposition, yeah, where maybe two wins, a couple of wins and a couple of draws out of six or seven games would get us into the top four, and we did what we did... What would your thoughts be on the future of the manager then? Well, I would contend that maybe without those Europa League games, I think we might have acquired a few more points That's along the way. That's a fair point, and I absolutely take that on board. Okay. But let's say that we didn't. I think it would be... I'd be pretty despondent. It, it feels bad now. Yeah. And that's with a possible final on the horizon. So I think it would be incredibly disheartening there's no two ways about it it's disheartening as it is so i think it would be uh, really tough to take and i think it would leave me uh, feeling very disappointed in the way that this season yeah. has sort of it is you know, it is very out. very disheartening isn't it it really is very <sighs> is the reason that it's most disheartening and and maybe maybe this isn't correct but is the reason that it's most disheartening that on some level, when we changed our coach, we changed our manager, we felt that some of the problems and the ills in this team and this club could be rather quickly fixed. And is a lot of what's disheartening about it the reality that this looks a lot like stuff we've seen in the last few years? Perhaps, but also the fact that I think at points during this season, we could look at things and say, he is addressing certain issues, right? Yeah. Like, defensively, in terms of the ground we cover in games, in terms of tactical flexibility is something we talk about a lot. Mm. I think during this season, we've all been able to see times when Unai Emery has looked to address some of the failings that we've had over the last couple of years and has done so successfully, I think, to a not, not to a large extent, but at times has addressed those issues. But, but now, despite doing that, we're kind of more or less in the same position in terms of how many goals we've conceded. I think we've conceded... Uh, 50 this season and we conceded 51 last season you know there's stats doing the round over the weekends about you know our, our XG 
last yeah. season compared to this season. We doesn't make for good reason. No, you know, and the expected goals against last season versus this season, we're we're worse. You know, and you can talk about whatever you like about stats and whether they tell you anything or, or whatever. But, you know, just as an as a, as part of the conversation, I'm not saying it's the be all and end all, but as part of the conversation, using those stats to inform us about our performance over the course of a season, it doesn't make for great reading. No, I know it's been a good year for XG in that respect. I mean, you know, they warned of Arsenal's regression after the 22-match unbeaten run. They warned of Manchester United's regression under Solskjaer. And those have been borne out, you know, despite some scoffing from certain quarters. So you can't really argue with that. Um, I, I, Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of stumbling on this sort of narrative. And I, I, mm. I don't know if it tallies with the results particularly well yet. But I do feel like when Emery came in, there was an injection of something, and I think there were tangible, uh, there was tangible evidence of that on the pitch. Certainly, in the work rate of the players, it seemed like there was a focus and a physical competitiveness that felt new and yeah. felt different. And I think that was reflected in a bit of the change of the emphasis of the team. Certain players became more important. People like. Torreira came in, Socrates came in, Iwobi became more important almost on account of his physicality. Um, it felt like there was a... Kolasinac is another. It felt like there was a shift in that direction. Uh, and I do I do think that the Liverpool game and maybe the bad run after Christmas, and I feel like Emery kind of lost his way. I do think he lost his way. And weirdly, I think losing his way did sort of also come with a bit of an upturn in results. You know, he started deploying Ramsey and Ozil and, you know, using the strikers in, in different ways. And, and it worked better, to be honest. It was getting us some better results. But I sort of can't help but shake the idea that he somehow divorced himself from his plan. Mm, whatever the plan when, was that we were still trying to figure out. Yeah, yeah, but I think at least he he might have known. You know, He might have known. And I think, in fairness, it's worth pointing out that I think the players you know, very much bought into this when he arrived because you couldn't move for articles about all the things that Unai Emery had done that we weren't yeah. doing before and the players, you know, we loved the training and we loved the attention to detail and we loved the preparation about the opposition and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, you know, it's not a case that, you know, the, the, the players weren't into this too, you know. It's just we seem to have hit a, a wall at exactly the wrong time this season and you know I think the uh, you know the way we've the way we've blown the position we were in is is hugely worrying absolutely and I feel like the way in which he has shifted has been to and it's to be honest it's not that dissimilar from what we saw Arsene Wenger doing at times um, I hate to keep evoking him but a kind of short-term pragmatism, a sense of, you know, I just somehow need to get this team over the line. Yeah. Uh, and sort of almost shifting away from ideals in order to do that. And I think that it has eroded his authority. I think it's eroded fans' trust in him. I would also say I think there are a couple of other factors here at play. Go on. Uh, I think that... I think that the players, you know, all that running, I do think probably is going to catch up with them. And I think it has done. And I, I don't think we're seeing as much of it. I don't think we're seeing the players covering quite as much ground as they were. I think that injuries have definitely been a factor. And I think what 
the more I think about it, January, <sighs> as much as I try and twist some logic to it... Yeah. ..and think, oh, they were pu- keeping their powder dry... I think that was a disaster. Yep, I agree. I agree. And actually, the only note that I made this week, it reads January decision. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you what you thought, like, who has made that decision? Well, who has made the decision? Because Emery was talking about making signings and then he came out in the press and said, the club cannot make signings. And I thought that was crystal clear Mm -hmm. that that's not his call. No, no. I mean, look, come on. You know, whatever else, um, you know, he's he's a man who knows, uh, certainly knew in January he had a squad that needed at least one addition and Mm -hmm. probably two. Yeah. Leaving aside the whole, it's very difficult to buy players in January, we all get it. You know, I think we all could see that. He could see that. He knew that. And he talked in particular about the Rob Holding injury, about the need maybe to go out and buy a central defender, that this now will prompt us into the market to get a central defender. Um, my, my, I'm wondering about January, and I'm wondering who it was that said there is no money available. Uh, remember the interview that Raul Sanyehi did with, the, you know, he, he did the rounds. He met all the yeah. press people. He was on BBC with David Ornstein. I think he met Amy Lawrence and he did, you know, a few other bits and pieces. Uh, the two of them where they were, do, look at us, we're great. We've got amazing plans, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but they were at pains to point out that, like, January is not the time when they were really thinking about spending money in the transfer market. However, what what sort of got to me was the idea that, you know, on, on early January, um, every, every department in Arsenal, every part of the club got a, an email missive telling them to cut costs wherever possible. Mm. There was no, like, Happy New Year. It was we need to cut costs, so wherever you can cut costs, do it. And that was across the board, business and everything else. Do we think that that didn't apply to football? I don't think so. I, it, you know, whatever about, like, fucking Johnny, who runs a stationery cupboard, don't buy as many Post-its and fucking Tipex pens, whatever. You could save up to £16 a week on that. But, you know, it's player... It's player uh, sales or player purchases and all that, which which really costs money. And 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 like imagine, we're a club that has um, you know decided or made a decision not to spend any money in January, or to spend no money on players that we could actually use in January, and we've blown four million pounds on Dennis Suarez because the loan fee apparently was somewhere in the region of two two and a half million pounds, and we paid his wages as well. Mm. I mean, that's a disaster. Yeah, that, I mean, of course, I'm not here to defend the Dennis Suarez signing. I, I would... I have seen some people saying, you know, uh, well, look, Emery says he wants his players and when he had the opportunity, <gasps> he went and got Dennis Suarez, you know? Yeah. But he was working on ridiculous constraints, in my opinion. Oh, I, I agree. I agree. He could only loan players, you know what I mean? And he couldn't even put in, like, a permanent obligation to buy. Like, that's why we were looking at Suarez, Perisic. If, you know, he didn't have any money to spend, and he thought, I want to try and get someone to improve the squad. Now, granted, that didn't work. It was a, a disastrous signing. But, you know, I look at this table and I see a six points off, and I hear people saying... Yeah, we should have 
we should have won a couple of those games. I can't help but think two signings could have meant at least six points. Mm. So Their recruitment is the fundamental driver in football, isn't it? I mean, people buy success. That's how it works. Yes. People buy good players and they do well. That's the reality. So do you think it was Raul Senyehi saying... Well, you know, look at the budget that we have. Arsenal are set to make apparently a big loss in the next financial year. A big loss, according to the Arsenal Supporters Trust. Somewere in the region, potentially, of £70 million. Mm -hmm. So is that Raul Senyehi saying, well, what little budget we have, we have to maximise. Therefore, the summer is the best time to spend money because better players are available. Uh, you know, clubs are willing to let players go in the summer that they're not necessarily willing to let go in January. Maybe you don't have to pay a premium to get a player. Like if you want to prize somebody away early, you've got to pay a bit more. Uh, is that Sanyehi being pragmatic about the money that the club have to spend in the transfer market? Or is it is it from higher up? And they're saying, look, you're not allowed. There is no money to spend. You can't, You can't do it. I mean, where do we think that? Where do we think that is? I think you have to think maybe it's higher up, and whoever made that decision is a in cunt. In my opinion, it, it, well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not disagreeing, and I, I think it's cost. I think it could have cost us, and that's you know, none of this is to absolve. Emery and say he shouldn't have coached those players to get more points than they did but I, I do think when you look at the massive uh, dip in our form at the end of the season a, a failure to strengthen in January coupled with the injuries that we suffered has to be a big factor in that yes because the defensive platform that we had which was never great you know our defensive problems run deep but when we looked at it, it's our best. Rob Holding was generally involved. Hector Bellerin was involved. We lost those players. We lost Danny Welbeck. We subsequently lost the ability to rotate Aubameyang and Lacazette to provide freshness, to have someone who had pace on the wing. These are big elements of our squad that just disappeared without replacement. Yeah. And I know we can see it and say, it'd be nice to see him each, but really, Realistically, it shouldn't come to that. It shouldn't come to that. No, I agree with you. And, you know, whatever concerns or, or, or whatever I have about Unai Emery, one of the things I've said consistently is that he was not backed in the January transfer window at a point where he really needed it, you know. Um, we lost three big players in two months. Holding, Bellerin, Welbeck, gone for the whole season. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I think, I mean, look, I'm speculating. I'm speculating. But I think if we had a fit Hector Bellerin, a fit Rob Holding, and a fit Danny Welbeck all season, I think we probably would be in the top four. And I also think, I I agree with you, that if we had actually gone out and replaced them properly, even if it was a loan signing or two, like a decent loan signing or two, then I don't think we'd be quite in the depths of despair as we are right now. No, I mean, even, I know, you know, I mean, Perisic is a player with his problems, but he probably would have scored a couple of goals along the way. I mean, it it, it is kind of, 
maddening. And when you think back to the closure of the summer transfer window, I think we forget now because we actually have signed, we signed a few players. We signed like half a dozen players, whatever it was. But when the transfer window closed, I think the general sense among Arsenal fans was, well, that we left some work to do there. Yeah. Uh, you know, people were thinking about another centre-half, a wide player, a central midfielder maybe. None of that happened. And January rolled around, we were even more in need of players. And it didn't happen again. And, yeah, I, I think it's a huge, huge factor in the story of our season. And I don't know. I don't know what it means about the owner. I don't know what it means about what the, the directors think of Unai Emery. Mm. Because ultimately, I think... I think they slightly hang him out to dry in January. And to be fair, he's made a mess of it on his, off his own back in the last few weeks, but they didn't do him any favours at all. Would you... OK, so would let me just, again, throw it out there without any knowledge or, or anything else. Mm-hmm. Do you think perhaps their unwillingness to back him in January says something about what they think about him in general? Or is that is that, you know, putting two and two together to get five? I don't know. I think I think we kind of know that already, I think, because, you know, the nature of the contract he was given, it's not like they handed him a five-year deal, you know, the keys to the city. It was always yeah. a relatively short-term thing. And I think he's always been kind of seen as a sort of safe pair of hands for an awkward transition. Uh, but I think it's more about trying to save money. Ultimately, yeah, that's what I that's what I think is driving it. I think they spent a lot in January. They spent a fair bit in the summer, and they thought we don't want to do that again. Mm. I mean, we talk about spending a lot in the summer, but we spent on five players while Liverpool spent on one. Basically, absolutely, and we also cost ourselves, I don't know, seventy million quid <sighs> by not selling players whose contracts were a year from expiry, which is a completely <laughs> yeah idiotic decision. And actually, that was one of the other things yesterday that I found uh, really infuriating. You know, the sort of post-match ceremony with Ramsey and the surprise, Danny Welbeck's <laughs> officially leaving as well, uh, just for the people who stayed around to see it. I, uh, you know, that should have been a, a, a happy occasion. And granted, I wasn't there, couldn't be there. But watching it through the television, I just found myself being so wound up. Well, what in particular idea. wound you up? Just how much money we've left on the table. Yeah. You know, I, I really like Aaron Ramsey. I think he's a great guy. I, I, you know, I, I was touched at how emotional he was. I don't necessarily interpret that emotion the same way as other people. I think other some people have seen that and said, wow, he really didn't want to leave. I, I kind of think maybe he did want to leave, but he spent 11 years of his life there. Yeah. It's still an emotional occasion, whatever happens. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. I don't think he was. These were tears of I've been forced out against my will. I think they were tears of oh, I'm leaving this behind, and I was just I'm sad to see where I was going. That's a decision I found a little bit crazy, to be honest. Depending yeah. on what we do, I mean, we've just essentially forced ourselves to replace a player uh, in a summer where we have other work to do. But yeah, I mean, we've just we could have doubled our transfer budget. By selling those players, absolutely, absolutely. You know, I I, I agree, and I and I love Aaron Ramsey, and people give me a hard time on over on Arsenal News on the player ratings because I'm maybe a bit too generous at times towards him. But you know, uh, you can't leave a f- you know if he had two years left on his contract, he's a forty fifty million pound player. And like in an ideal world, when I look at this Arsenal squad, 
Aaron Ramsey is the player kind of that you should be rebuilding around? Of course, yeah, right? I okay, agree. I, but, you know, in an ideal world where a hamstring strain doesn't put him out for three months. So I take that into account as well. But I also think, you know, when you let an England international like Welbeck run down his contract when he could have brought you in 20 million last summer, mm. you know, you're, you're, it's just terrible. I think we should take a moment to uh, call Ivan Gazidis a prick. <laughs> just, you know, I... Well, and, and that's the other story of this season, by the way. Uh, just the backroom bullshit that I think has massively derailed us. That's you what know, worries. Think- that's what worries me so profoundly is that Ivan Gazidis, after spending nine years subjugated to Arsene Wenger, right, mm-hmm. who where he had no real power or control, flexed his muscles for a couple of months at the end when he brought in, you know, and was the driver, and and people can point to Wenger all they want, but I I know this for a fact. Gazidis was the driver behind the Mkhitaryan deal, behind the Ozil contract, like it was ultimately, uh, he was the one who greenlit those deals. Um, Bringing in Aubameyang, and I've got no problem with bringing in Aubameyang whatsoever, but after all that time, when Arsene left, you would have thought, okay, here it is. We've got a new manager. We've got a chief executive. We've got a technical or a, a head of football. We've got a, a head of recruitment. It's all there for Gazidis to, to say, okay, now let me take this club forward. Let me, let me drive the ambition of Arsenal that I've always talked about. He couldn't get the fuck out fast enough. And that, mm. that's really worrying for me. Really worrying because, you know, he's up close and personal with it all. Yeah, and and I wonder if, you know, that was at the end of the summer transfer window that that was all going on with Milan. And I suspect that might have had an impact on not selling Ramsey. You know, maybe there were question marks over who could make a decision on that scale. Eyes were Um, not on the ball. And when January came round, and I'm talking about how we should have strengthened, our head of recruitment was already had one foot out the door. So that stuff, which I'll be honest, when Arsene went, for all my doubts about Gazidis, that sort of team was what really gave me hope that we might be able to build a sort of modern football club. Yeah. Uh, And that's completely gone down the pan. And that's, I think, why so much of the attention now is falling on Emery, because... He has been, uh, having been brought in as a coach, he's now been sort of pushed out as the front man, you know? He's the focus. Well, he's the focus again because nobody else is out in front. And, you know, I've been critical of Emery and, and, uh, you know, I don't think he's had a very good spell as head coach of this football club, but there's nobody else taking any of the heat off him. Same way that Gazidis did not, uh, poke his head above the parapet when things were going wrong for, for Arsene Wenger. The minute he was gone, he was sitting in the manager's chair doing a press conference talking about how much he loved the guy, but when shit was going down and planes were flying and banners were going around, where the fuck was Gazidis? Nowhere. Mm-hmm. So where the fuck is Raul Sinyehi now? You know, where, where are the words of, of, of comfort or where are the words of reassurance from our head of football, the man who is going to absolutely 100% be responsible for our summer and everything else. Where is it? 
You know, because you're either a team and you're a football club that's all driving towards the same thing and you're, you know, or or what? What is it? It's like individual power plays. We've got these these cowardly executives. I don't know how we keep doing it. We managed to buy all these footballers who are just kind of mentally brittle and we buy, we get all these executives who just fucking hide under the table until it's safe to come out. Yeah, Arsenal are a, a, a spectacularly badly run football club. Yes. Uh, and I think their transfer business in particular is pretty disastrous. And I feel like we're now moving into an era where we might be hamstrung by ownership and spending restrictions. Yeah. You know, well, we yeah, no, become... let's, let's say it because ultimately it, it, it stops or the book stops or it starts with the owners. And that's KSE, that's Stan Kroenke, that's Josh Kroenke. Uh, they've got a big, big summer ahead of them. Big summer. I don't expect a great deal. I don't expect a lot. But I'm going to wait until I see what they do this summer before I go postal. Well, it's huge, <laughs> huge pressure on them now, yeah. I think, to deliver something. Well, there is. It. There's only pressure if they care. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Uh, oh, that's, uh, sorry that's, about that's that. A scary thought. <laughs> yeah, just taking you down. Listen, I think we should take a break because we've got loads of questions that we can do in part two. Um, mm. We're an hour in. I think we should both get a drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. Let's go get a drink, come back, and do questions and more in part two right after this. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog. Are we still trending, by the way? I must just. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I hope so. Uh, let me just check. Someone else tweeted us about it, so I guess it must be yeah. somewhere. Uh, no, I don't think we are. Um, for, Mike Dean is trending now in our place. Oh, for God's what sake. What the fuck has he done? What has he of done all now? people. He's probably made love to a football in the middle of whatever game it is he's refereeing tonight. Is he refereeing Manchester City, City. versus uh, Leicester? Leicester. Oh, I hope he's fucking. I hope he's frotting Brandon Rogers as we speak. Anyway, look uh, uh, on Twitter at Gunnarblog at Arsblog on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you're an Arsblog member on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash. Arsblog, a fiver a month, gets you loads of extra stuff to listen to. And also, you get the Arsecast and you get the Arsecast Extra ad-free. So if you want to sign up, do it now. Patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. Um, feels quite bad, actually, being knocked off Twitter trending by Mike Dean. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's salt in our wounds, I would say. Whatever about a royal baby, like, you know, but Mike Dean... Unless they've named the baby Mike, Mike Dean. Dean. And that's why that's trending. Yeah. Wow. Mike Dean Windsor. <laughs> Most babies look like Mike Dean anyway, so, you know, who would know the difference? That's true. Yeah. Um, do you want to go first? Will I go first? How will we do this? Let's let you go first. Okay. This is a question from Discord. It comes from Mamoz, the Norwegian gooner, who's a Norwegian gooner from Norway which is in Norway. And he says, what the fuck should we do about Xhaka? 
Seems like he's one of a handful of players that could actually generate some funds. He's usually a good player, but in my opinion, he has these nightmare games too often. Would you sell him? Uh, I would be very tempted to. I know that we're quite reliant on him, but it feels to me like relying on Granite Shaka is quite a dangerous position to be in. It's a bit like... He's a walking stick. He's a Mm -hmm. walking stick. Like, you have to use him because he's the only thing you've got. But if you could get a bionic leg, that would be much better. That's it. I mean, people say our style is kind of contingent on on Shaka, and I think there's something in that. But our style is not massively successful, and playing Shaka just leaves you open to these moments of... Madness. I mean, it was madness what he did against Brighton. And not for the first time in an Arsenal shirt. You know, there was just no need. It was like he was almost... It's like his body sort of acted without him being able to control it. He just flung that arm out. It's almost as if he's a bit thick at times on the pitch. You know, he seems like a a pretty good guy off it and everything else, but, like, his decision-making on the pitch at times really leaves... He makes bad decisions. He does. He makes bad decisions. He makes bad decisions. Uh, so yes, I think I think he is a, a, a viable asset to move on. I think we could probably get a decent chunk of money for him, mm. and uh, I wouldn't be adverse to it because I I, I kind of think the centre of midfield and the centre of defence, you know, we could rip it all up and start again. Frankly, yeah, I think we probably should in a way. Yeah, I yeah, me too. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily put it as one of my priorities. No. But I if the right offer came in, I would absolutely sell him. No problem. No problem. Um and actually just on this, let me follow up with a question from Jane Cavendish who says, "We have inept defenders who make repeated and costly errors, but is our main defensive problem a midfield that can't press?" Man City and Liverpool have improved their defensive records by improving their shot suppression and not allowing teams to get at their back fours in the first place. They've each conceded 22 goals uh, this season. We've conceded 50. So should our first priority be a midfield that can do the same? What do we do with players like Xhaka and Iwobi, who are good passers of the ball, but aren't mobile and effectively prevent us from playing a modern pressing game? I think that's a really good point. And something I've been thinking about this week is... I've been thinking about fullbacks. Did you read Ken Early's piece about how yeah. football has shifted? And it, one of the things he was talking about it, in it, and we've seen a little evidence of it Arsenal this season, is how crosses and sometimes assists are primarily coming from fullbacks now. I mean, I think Andy Robertson's already broken the assist record for a, a defender in a Premier League season. And Trent Alexander-Arnold isn't that far away. And I was thinking about those two and how they're probably the best pair of fullbacks in the league. And I was thinking about if you put them in this Arsenal team and I think we would feel like they were too attacking for us to somehow survive it. You know, we'd say, oh, well, <laughs> if they're going to play, we've got to play with a back three, you know? Yeah. And then what that tells you, I think, is that your real problems are in central defence and in your midfield because Liverpool can play full-backs. I mean, Andy Robertson, you know, starts on the halfway line mm. and so does Alexander-Arnold. It's not a problem for them because they have centre-halves, well, they have Van Dijk who really marshals the defence very well and they have a midfield who can press and who can protect 
the defence, and we just do not have those things. Isn't that what, like, basically Wenger's best teams were, were based on? Fullbacks Absolutely. playing so high up the pitch, and the reason they were able to do it was because we had players like Vieira, we had Gilberto, we had, you know, Edu, we had players who were able to protect the back four, and when we had, you know, our best teams, we had good back fours as well, you know, so... Um, and City and Liverpool are teams full of sprinters, really. I mean, you know, mm. who, who cover a lot of ground very, very quickly, and we don't have many of those. Well, when, when you think about our central midfield, it's so... Pedestrian. Pedestrian. Like Xhaka, uh, I think I... what uh, In the player ratings yesterday, I think I said it was something like a, a performance of such leaden-footed brutality that I don't have words to to describe it and mm-hmm. it, you know it was so obvious during the game I was watching it during the game and people have you know I'm not the first or I won't be the last to make this observation about Xhaka and how how he's he's not the quickest at moving the ball so when he receives the ball he takes a touch he takes a touch and he's on the turn and then he looks around and he makes a pass or or what have you but you know, he's not that mobile. He's not that quick. Torreira maybe is. Genduzzi possibly is. Elneny is definitely not. Aaron Ramsey is not really, a, you know, somebody who's a traditional central midfielder, but certainly is mobile and athletic and, and able to move the ball uh, maybe a bit too quickly at times. But for the most part, our central midfield is slow. It's really slow. And in a game when inches and fine margins make such a difference you know you can't pull the opposition all over the place if the ball is traveling through your midfield like it's going through treacle no and he can't carry the ball uh i think sometimes we're a bit beguiled by the beauty of shaka's passing i mean it you know he can play some extraordinary passes it's a, a hell of a left foot that he's got but look at that liverpool team players like Gigi wanaldum jordan henderson you know, they're not as technically competent as Shaka is in, in that regard. Uh, you know, they're not as special passers of the ball, but they have other attributes that make them much more rounded. And I feel like Shaka is such a specialist player who has such a unique skill. He's, you know, that kind of quarterback. But I just think the other areas of his game uh, don't effectively balance that out. Mm. Yeah, I, yeah, I'd say. Yeah. If we got the right offer and the right money came in and we had anyone at the club who might fucking make a decision about, you know, who would be a good replacement for him, absolutely. That's another uh, worry. Yeah, <laughs> Who's and fucking as, picking the players? Who's as picking for James, the players? Well, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll get to that. I mean, as for Jane's point on pressing, I think one of the hardest things to understand about this Arsenal team is why they press when they do and why they don't when they don't. You know, mm. in some games it feels like we press from the front. Uh, we make quite a good fist of it, to be honest. I can think of several games this season, particularly at home, where we've done that effectively. And then other occasions where we just haven't. That's something I don't understand. Yeah. And I have to hold my hands up and say I'm not sure what the logic is there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's partly physical, but that is also tactical, sure. I would say. Okay. Uh, who's making the decisions? Good question i think i had a question about this i mean uh this comes from at talking ass and he says between pushing mislinta out the club and failing to appoint a director of football has raul sanyehi fucked our summer 
well, look, I can't predict the future. I can't say if he's fucked our summer. I'd say he has made it more difficult. And what he's also done is assumed the entire responsibility for what goes on this summer. Yeah. He is the head of football. Is that not that's his title, isn't it? Head of football. I think it is, yeah. So all the football decisions at Arsenal now are on him. And, you know, it was it was partly down to him that, that Sven left. You know, mm-hmm. there was this kind of I remember writing about this um, maybe just after Wenger left or it was announced that he left and it was sort of, you know, we put in place this structure, the Sven, Ivan, Raul structure, and I was thinking, you know... Maybe it won't survive. Yeah. Maybe it won't survive. Or, you know, when, when, when there is a power vacuum, somebody... It's not unusual for there to be a couple of casualties along the way for somebody else to sort of, you know, in a, you know, a utopian world... Ivan does his thing and Sven does his thing and Raul does his thing and they all, you know, sit around together and play hacky sack and they love each other. But mm. in reality, these are kind of hard-nosed guys who Big want egos. the power. Yeah, with egos and they want the power and they want the influence. And the guy ultimately who's left, who's come out on top of it, is Raul Sanyehi. So I can't say for sure whether he's fucked our summer it's, you know, he could surprise us. Could he not? He could surprise us and do something amazing um, yeah. during the off season. But I think what he has done is made it very... There's no hiding place for him. There's no hiding place for him. If we don't buy well, and if we don't sell well this summer, it's on him. There's nobody else. Like, we can talk about Emery getting involved in player recruitment and all that stuff, you know, and uh, Dennis Suarez's influence and all that, but ultimately, the man who's sanctioning and green-lighting the decisions from a footballing point of view is Sanyehi. So if it goes fucking tits up this summer, it's on him. And we get the pitchforks out, and we go, we go around to Raul's house and whatever, but it's on him. But I think we have to wait and see. We have to wait and see what they do. Whether they've got big plans and, you know, we'll wait and see. But it's it's him. It's him. It's Sanyehi. And the, the the worry I have, of course, is, you know, obviously the cronky side of things. Mm-hmm. But but I'm not sure he's like a – he's not a talent guy. He's not the guy who's going to go out and, and – uh, and identify the players. And, and the people that we have currently – doing the scouting are still they're still relics is not the right word but they're still people who were involved in Arsenal during the Wenger era for yeah, a long part time of the previous regime. they're part of the previous regime they're part of the poor recruitment process that we've had in place for so many years now mm. so all of a sudden we're expecting this guy who you know to what pull a load of irons out of the hat Irons, you don't pull, you pull rabbits out of a hat, you pull irons out of a fire. Um, you know, but all of a sudden, like a guy who's who's got his, what, who's done what for us in like 15 years, 20 years, he's now going to be the guy who's going to make, oh, it's, 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 I'm not confident about what's going to happen this summer. I'm really not. I'd love it. No. Like, I, if I'm wrong, I will eat the biggest slice of humble pie that exists on this earth. 
but just looking at it and looking at looking at who's involved, I'm not confident. It is hard to feel confident, definitely. Mm. Um, have you got a question? I do. It comes from Mike Guti, who's at Mike Guti Four, who says, "Which season-long injury do you think hurt us most? What does that say about our squad and how Emery has had to adapt?" Uh, I think the best player we lost is Hector Bellerin, but I have a, I have a suspicion that. I don't know. I want to say Danny Welbeck, actually. Yeah, I would too. I would yeah. too, even though I think we've got terrible problems defensively. I just think that the lack of goals and the lack of the lack of something different, like, like he's not the best player in the world by any stretch of the imagination, Welbeck. But he gave you, like, real pace. He gave you somebody who would run with the ball. He could do it on the left. He could do it on the right. He could support the strikers. He could play with both Lacazette and Aubameyang. He could play in place of both of them, too. I think he would have got maybe another five or six goals. Yeah. And I think those goals would have proved to be quite valuable in terms of points. And I think... He, for me, I would say Welbeck, not because he was our best player, but because he he had the things that we missed most. Yes, I think that's absolutely fair, and I think what he he would have been a real benefit to Aubameyang and Lacazette, even if it meant they were fresher for certain Premier League games because he'd taken up more European minutes or more cup minutes. I think we've missed him enormously. I've got this question here from Catherine Shah, who's at Educated Guna. And Catherine says, do you think it was the club's decision or Emery's decision to let Welbeck go? I don't think it was Emery's decision. It doesn't sound like it. No, but I mean, I don't think Emery... I mean... I mean, it was Welbeck's decision in part. Of course. Of course. I mean, he got to a year out and then he said, look, I'm going to be 28. I can leave on a Bosman, which opens so many doors for him. You know, rather than uh, being available on a on a transfer, he's available for free. I think it will open many more doors for him than he would have had available to him if he'd, you know, uh, had to be a transfer. Um, so I don't think it was on Emery at all. I think, you know, it comes back to last summer when we had decisions to make on Ramsey and when we had decisions to make on Welbeck. And our decision was to gamble on being able to convince them to stay with a year left on their contract. And I don't think that either one of them really wanted to for various reasons, you know? I I just don't think they wanted to. I I think they looked at it and said, it's too much. It's too much change if we let Wenger go. Um, if we bring in five players, I can't even remember who left last year. Who who left? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Coquelin. Did he leave in the summer or was it... Was that January, I think. Okay, Gabriel left. Uh, Mertesacker retired, but he was barely playing anyway. Um, so Lucas Perez went to oh, no. West Ham. Oh, Is that right? Goodness. Yeah, £15 million pound loss. Yeah, well, uh, Jack Wilshire went out on a free transfer. Yeah. Santi Cazorla went out on a free transfer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Callum Chambers and David Ospina went out on loan. Yeah. Uh, I think that's it. I think Coquelin went in 
January. Coquelin went in January the year before, didn't he? Yeah. It was the year before. So I think I think basically they said it's too much. It's too much to do if we have to replace Ramsey and we have to replace Welbeck, as well as signing Leno, Licksteiner, Torreira, Genduzzi, and Socrates. Socrates. I think it's I think they they said it was too much. And I you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but I don't think it would have been. In the long term, if they had, had if they had any long term strategy for the club, you know, we would have been better off with seventy million pounds, even if we could only spend it in January, than losing Ramsey and Welbeck for free. I think. Mm. Mm. I think absolutely, mm. absolutely. Um, this question comes in from. Uh, how are they pronouncing that? Eababs, who's at Eisco on Twitter. It's not a cheerful one. They ask, if we don't invest creatively into the squad for next season, do you fear we may struggle to hold on to our top six status? Um, well, look, we are only three points off third. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're only... Uh, Ten points off seventh. Yeah, look, um, I, I think the general stature of the club and everything else means that there's a big, big gap for clubs like Wolves and Watford and Everton and what have you to bridge. I think it's oh. it's too big, but I, I also understand that, I mean, we've got more points this season than last season. So, you know, the trajectory, if you want to look at it from a purely points point of, point of view rather than uh, performance or anything else, you could say it's been, it's been arrested. I, I don't really th- have any worry in that regard. Mm. Um, but my worry is more about how, how are we going to get back into the Champions League? And I'm not thinking about at this moment in time Arsenal dropping out of the top six I'm thinking about how can we get back into the top four and then how can we get back into the top two and I know that's ludicrous but that's kind of where I I envisage the ideal trajectory for us right yeah yeah I I am still looking up more than down hoping against hope that that might happen but 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 when I look at Wolves and I look at Everton, I see two clubs with an ownership that I think will be really ambitious and will definitely do everything they can to break that top six monopoly. I mean, those clubs will spend money. Absolutely certainty. So, mm. yeah. I mean... It will I'm become more difficult. about it, but yes. I think it, there will be a challenge from that sort of level of club. Um but we should be thinking about trying to get into the top four, really. Mm. Yeah, we should. Here's a, here's a question from a couple of ones here from Nicholas Nielsen, who's at Den Nielsen, 88. I see what you did there, Nicholas. He said, Lacazette to Barcelona for £70 million. Should we let him go and invest in new players slash contract renewals? And Magnus Holmberg, at Magnus Holmberg, rumours linking Lacazette to Barca. For what amount of money, if any, or what combination of money and players would you let him join them? Whatever made us better, and I 
you know, I, I'm, nothing I've read makes me think that would be the case. Mm. Uh, I I would be keeping Aubameyang and Lacazette. I think they are the good thing we've got going in this team. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. I mean, we should not be considering selling either of those regardless of how difficult the rebuilding job is and regardless of how how tight funds are, we've got to keep the things about this team that are good. And Lacazette is good, uh, not just on the pitch, but I, I love his attitude. I love that, you know, he's got a good character, good personality. He, along with Obama, like, I mean, even think about it from the point of view of their relationship, they love playing together. Um I think I was listening to the Arsenal Vision podcast uh, after the Valencia game, and Clive was saying they're they're basically an old fashioned partnership, yeah, an old fashioned strike partnership, and those things are rare. We don't have them too much anymore, and maybe they're a touch anachronistic, but at the same time, if you were to go through as we did last week the squad and say keep or go, both of those are keep and. Mm. I think we need to we need to build you know around those guys. So no, like I wouldn't let him go to Barcelona. No chance. No, fuck those guys. To be honest. <laughs> yeah, fuck Barcelona too. Yeah. Um. Okay, my question. Yeah. Uh, well, I had one about if the club got an offer for Bamiang. I think we've just answered that. Yeah. Um. Do you want me to oh, do okay. another one or have, you, or have you got one? Oh, yeah, yeah. You, if you've got one lined up, you go. I've got one here from Chris Carpenter, who's at AFC Freddy 8. And he says, going against a heavy grain here, I'm sure, but I'm of the belief that we've had a lot more positives th- this season than negatives. So in your view, why is it that our fans are so utterly negative with so much this season after getting what the majority wanted last summer? Hmm. I think that the simple answer to that is this terrible run of form. I think that there's been positives in the course of the season. We've had some great occasions where we've beaten rival teams. I'm thinking of Chelsea, Manchester United, Tottenham, and we have enjoyed those days Mm. enormously. But I think it's difficult to remember that and sort of gain that sense of perspective when you are in the midst of a diabolical run that will probably allow most of those teams to finish above you. Uh, Because ultimately, individual games tend to matter less than where you sit in the Premier League table at the end of the season. And Hmm. we've let a huge opportunity slip through our hands. Now, I do think it's possible that this is just a bad run. I think I'm one of the few who thinks that. But I think we are just in a terrible, terrible run. It's been the only terrible run of the season and a hugely costly one. But I think it's possible that it sort of will end and be an isolated thing. What makes you think that? Just as a matter of interest, Uh, what is it that... What is it about these players... And the way they've been sent out to play that makes you think this could be just an aberration, a you know, a, a dreadful run of form that they're just simply unable to address for no particular reason. I think the main factor in that is probably fatigue. 
Okay. That's, that's, that's what I would go for. So you're the, a deeper squad with greater quality. Yeah. I mean, lack of quality is an issue too. Don't get me wrong. I, for sure. I, I, I'm not saying that... Uh, I'm not saying that I think this team are you know, necessarily good enough to even play in the Champions League, but... I, I don't know. I, I just feel like there. This has been so painful, and we've been so close to achieving our goals that to let it slip through our grasp in this manner has made people really angry and really disappointed. Mm. Um, I'm not sure that's being negative though necessarily. I think it's fair enough to feel like that. Okay. What do you think? I do think that this, I think what it is, is a missed opportunity. Yeah. I think we realistically, pragmatically could all sit back at the start of the season and say, if Arsenal were in fifth with a game to go, we'd all say, yeah, you know, based on the squad we have, that's probably about right. Mm. You know, I think we can all see that. But... When you when you're handed a really, really kind run in and you've got games against Crystal Palace and Brighton at home and w- with all due respect, blah 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 to Watford and no yeah, Watford, but Wolves, Leicester, who else? Who is the other cunts we lost to recently? Palace. Yeah. You know, when you when you look at those I it feels like we absolutely have blown something that that could have provided the platform on which to build next season already and i think it's a, a measure of a bit of fear as well because we you know we still have a way into the champions league which could give us that platform mm. but i think we've blown the best chance we have at it and i think that's what it is and I think a lot of the failings that we've seen in the last couple of weeks are not necessarily, even though they've created doubts in my mind about Unai Emery, they're not really Unai Emery-specific failings because we recognize them as Arsenal failings, if you like. Yeah, they're quite familiar. Yeah, they're I mean, very do you know familiar. What it's a, do you know what it's a bit like? It's a bit like this season is a bit like... It's kind of summed up by the Aubameyang penalty miss against Spurs. Yeah. Because if you said to anyone going into that game, you're going to get a one-all draw at Wembley away from home against Tottenham, everybody would have taken it and said, that's absolutely fine. Mm. But when you have a chance in the last minute to score from the penalty spot 12 yards out, you should take it. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Arsenal have had with this opportunity to get into the top four. Yeah. And they've made a mess of it, much like Aubameyang did in that moment. Made a balls of it. Made a massive balls of it. And I think that's what it is. I think that's, you know... It's, it's the equivalent, isn't it, of... Um, Scoring a late equaliser versus conceding a late equaliser. Yeah. And and how you perceive the result on that basis. 
So if you score a goal in the 91st minute, you're like, oh my God, delighted. You've got something from the game. Whereas if you're 1-0 up or 2-0 up, when you concede a couple late on, then it has a really profound impact on your perception of what's happened. And I think that's part of it. I think it's just the fact that we've had, you know, there's just no time to recover when you do it at this point of the season. So uh, We talked about these sort of problems being endemic or at least familiar. And this question from Pete, um, Pete McKay, who's at Pete McKay 10, says... Lots of mentions recently about bad characters in the squad. For example, Gunblog said it after. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Sunday's match. Who are the main problem characters? Do you think <laughs> the, the manager is big enough to deal with them? Okay, well, look, I was going to ask you this question. Well, I very cleverly have asked you. That's, you have that's very the cleverly. of what I've done. But much like Andre Agassi, I've returned <laughs> this in a backhand. So, and okay. Nick, Nick Vorpagel, or Nick Vorpagel, who's at NS Vorp on Twitter, says, James said he thinks there are actively bad characters in the squad. Could you discuss, do you mean players that don't care about the club? Players that are losers on the pitch? Players that don't work hard? Genuinely mean people? What do you mean? I mean we have evil players. <laughs> we have forces of evil at work. Witches. There are witches in this team. The darkness I, is upon okay. us. We're straying into intangible territory here. So okay. let's all hold hands and be brave and hope that you know we don't get slammed on Twitter. Right. But I think what I mean by that is that I think the culture of the club is a bit problematic. And I think that was the case under Arsene Wenger. And judging by what I've seen this season, that hasn't sufficiently changed. And it's not to say that players don't care or hate Arsenal, or aren't trying. It's to say that, how can I put it? Ar- Arsene Wenger used to say about Colo Torre, and I think he said about Sol Campbell too, I, I would go to war with these guys. I wouldn't go to a punch-up in a pub car park with these current <laughs> Arsenal players. I wouldn't go to fucking Tesco with them, let right. alone a punch-up. Like, how many of them in a sort of clutch moment, to borrow an American term, Mm. do I trust? Do I count on? If I was picking a team to play for my life, how many of these Arsenal players would I pick? Mm. Very few. Mm. Uh, Very few. Possibly possibly none. 
<laughs> and honestly, like a couple maybe, but. And you can think of the ones who you would pick, and I think probably people would say someone like Aaron Ramsey. Yeah. You know, um, Laurent Koscielny. You know, there are good characters in this squad, but there are other players who, when it comes to the crunch, flake time after time after time. So many flakes. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, as a fan, I find it exhausting to watch and I find it difficult to be energised and positive about that group. And I, and I think it is a cultural thing. I think there was a complacency that crept in under Arsene Wenger that has not yet been eradicated. And I do wonder if, to a certain extent, you know, the way in which Unai Emery kind of folded on some of his ideals this season has probably allowed that to set in a little bit. Like five, five captains, for example? Yeah, I, I sort of think that's bullshit. And I, <laughs> like, you know, why have we? Why is Meza Özil captain of Arsenal? That's mental, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like, like whatever he, he's not. He, he's a great player. He's not an inspirational leader, is he? No. I sent you a text yesterday, and yeah. I, you know, I'm not going to go into the full details of it, but I, I expressed some concerns about. Ozil as captain and you can like whatever you want to think about captaincy and the role of it or the importance of it like that's not who he is it's just no. not who he is it's like putting him in goal it, you know it's, yeah. it's madness yeah. and unfortunately it's like asking Tyrion to be a fucking high jumper yeah and it's emblematic I think of some of the issues that run through the heart of this Arsenal squad. Like the, and I, the, and I, the, the decisions aren't made for the benefit or for the for the right... Um, like, they're not made in the right way. Like, making Mesut Ozil captain... It's not the right decision for the, for the team. No, and we've got... It's, to a, it's a way of... Yeah, it's a way of kind of... It's a sop to the player in a way. Yeah, it's this ridiculous situation where a player who a few months ago the manager was like, he's not part of my plans, now he's playing nicey-nicey to him, starts every game, and he's the captain. And that, to me, is where Emery... I'm not saying it was the wrong decision to bring Ozil back into the team, but I think that flip-flop did him a lot of harm. And, uh, and to a certain extent, it's true with Ramsey too. And I think if you think about Manchester City, say, the team that looked likeliest to win the title as things stand, mm. it feels like, you know, Pep's created an environment that feels meritocratic. And if he is going to not start Aguero or take him off after an hour or not play Leroy Sane, he'll do that. And I felt at the start of the season that Emery was kind of introducing that. But as the season's gone on, it's sort of become a little bit cushier. He's sort and, of reverted to the easy decisions rather yeah, than the... Yeah, I think so. I think so. And sort of, you know, that disappoints me. And, and on the character front, I do think the answer is a clear out. And I, I'm not saying it will be easy, but I think when the culture of a club or any organisation is a little bit rotten... Mm. You need to take out some of the big figures. And that's why, you know, I'm sad about Aaron Ramsey going, but had we sold him for money and replaced him with a quality player, I don't mind that. I think we should be embracing change. Yeah. I think we should welcome that. But 
we've hamstrung ourselves. We, we've got one hand tied behind our back trying to do it. Yeah. But I don't know if you know what I mean about character, but it just feels like there are certain... There are lots of players in this squad who I... F- you know, we talked about crumbling away from home and it just feels like there's a lot of players in this squad who, under pressure, don't necessarily produce their best. No, I agree. I, I think there are... You know, I, I, I absolutely dig the idea of collective responsibility where everybody feels responsible on the pitch for what happens. But the five captains thing, I mean, I guess, it. you know, I, I kind of give Emery a pass on it because I think it was really difficult for him coming into a, coming into a new club, and new Kishelny team. Kishelny not being fit as well. Kishelny not being fit. Um, you know, he wanted to make it as inclusive as possible. And maybe he was looking for these guys to step up and from those five, he might find the two that he really wanted or, or whatever it is. But I, I do think it is a, a a sidebar to the way we've been um, operating for a while. And everyone, everyone talks about the need for a new Tony Adams. They're not, you know, you can't just fucking tell somebody, you're Tony Adams now. You're captain, be Tony Adams. It doesn't work like that. It's not possible. You know, the reason that we talk about these iconic captains like uh, Adams and Keane and that racist guy at Chelsea, Mm -hmm. you know, um, they're very rare. They're very rare. And what I would say is you don't necessarily need one to be successful. I mean, I think Liverpool's captain is Jordan Henderson. I think Man City's is Vincent Company. They don't play every week but it seems that there is a sort of collective responsibility I mean you know without wishing to fucking praise a rival because it makes me feel a little bit sick what they've done in the Premier League is quite extraordinary in terms of you know they've been under pressure to deliver results week after week since the turn of the year really and have managed to do it you look at us we're under pressure for a few weeks to get some points and get into the top four and we absolutely fall apart and I have to believe that character is a big element in that of course quality matters of course tactics matters but there is an element of character to it too and we just fall down there for Mm. me no I agree too many brittle men too many brittle men is it my question or your question I don't know. It's sort of we sort of switched switched it around there. I think uh, it can be either. Have you got a question? I do actually. Just a one from Facebook here, uh, from Andres Gruschot, who says, "What else does Christian Bielik have to do to get a mention on the podcast?" Well, yeah, uh, fair play. I mean, <laughs> he's not been my primary concern for much of the season, but <laughs> I've seen some clips of him doing some nice things in the Charlton midfield. Um, I mean, that is League One, I believe. So yeah. it's a, a different level. How old is Christian Bielik now? 21. It feels like he should be 40, right? Because he's been around for so he's long. He's been around a long time. But, you know, uh, he is, he's only 21. Yeah, and he's got a lot of the ingredients you would look for. He's certainly got the size. And he's playing in central midfield as well. Moves yeah. the ball quickly. Smart passer. I mean, it'll be interesting to see, won't it, what happens with him next season. He'll be back for pre-season and... They'll get a close look at him there. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd be interested to see him get a few games, hopefully, in pre-season and mm. see what he can do. I mean, it can't hurt, can it? I think 
certainly from the physical side, he could add something. Yeah, for sure. He's a big guy. He is a big guy. I mean, maybe, um, I, maybe he's just like a kind of, you know, um, if you get some money for Xhaka, why not? Mm. I don't know. Why Look, not? maybe I'm just sort of in the whole... I don't want to see any of these guys. Just want to blow it up. Yeah, yeah, just like, yeah, exactly. Blow it all up, sell them all, bring anybody in. I don't care, but, you know. I, I've got a question, which I don't think okay. I've seen asked directly, so I'm just going to ask you. Should they sack Una Emery? I, I, if, if they have somebody better that they can get, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't think they do. Um, and it depends on the Europa League. Um, so, look, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced. That's where I'm at with Unai Emery. I'm absolutely not convinced. And I see all the arguments one way or yeah. the other. And I, you know, they're giving him a transfer window. And, uh, you know, all of it makes sense to me. All of it. My gut feeling as I think I said to you last week, is that he's not quite the right guy. Mm-hmm. But should we sack him for, you know, if he wins the Europa League, how can you? Like, they won't. They won't. I mean, no, they, they won't. wouldn't if he does that. No, they no. wouldn't if he does that. If, for example, we go out against Valencia, I think there's a much stronger case for making a change. Well, and, and again, just let me make it absolutely clear. I hope that does not happen. Of but course. if that were to happen, I think there's, I think there's a much stronger case for it. If Unai Emery at the end of this season has won Arsenal a European trophy and got us into the Champions League, like I don't know that that's a decision that will be made by the people who are running this club because basically he's fulfilled the objective that he was brought in to fulfil which is to get us back to the Champions League. And he's also won us a European trophy. I don't think it would change my opinion on his long-term suitability. But no. I can see why they definitely wouldn't do it. And I could also see why he would have earned, uh, you know, a proper summer. And, like, if he does that, like, let's say he does win the Europa League and win us our first European trophy for 25 years, and then he's handed a budget of what? 50 or 60 million pounds. Mm. You know, I do have some sympathy with that as well because it's paltry. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I really think he's got a tricky job. You know, I feel like we're sort of in danger of becoming the Newcastle of the top six where we're sort of, ham, you know, constantly trying to battle against problematic ownership. Uh, and much as I sort of sympathise with Rafa Benitez, I have a certain degree of sympathy with Emery too. I don't think he's done a, a good job over the last few weeks in the Premier League. You would be crazy to suggest otherwise. And I actually think if you're completely convinced by Unai Emery, I'm surprised by that. As someone who defends him and doesn't think they should sack him, that's my opinion. I, I would give him more time. I would give him the summer. I would give him you know, a, a fair way into next season to see where we go, to see where it takes us. I don't think, for me, there's sufficient evidence to to call it at this point. Uh, but there is doubt. You know, it's not clear if it's working or not. And, mm. Mm. yeah, uh, you know, I think we're so used as fans to being sort of pushed into two camps of, you know, in or out. 
Uh, and I don't think it's as clear as that this time. It's, it's much more complex. Yeah. OK, look, a couple of quick things then to finish us off because we're heading towards the end of the podcast. We're definitely losing three players. Petr Cech is leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron Ramsey's leaving. Danny Welbeck is leaving. Just very quickly, your favourite Petr Cech moment. Do you have a favourite Petr Cech moment? I was thinking about this. I mean, I hope it's still to come. I hope it comes in Baku, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, there's a discussion we might have on the podcast in the weeks ahead, but yes, we'll leave it till after the Valencia game uh, without wanting to jinx anything. Uh, but favourite Petr Cech moment to date? I think, didn't he finally save a penalty at one point? Troy Deeney, Troy Deeney. Yes, it's got to be that one, hasn't it? Yeah. Uh, did you have any other contenders? No, that was the one that was in, in my mind. And, you know, yeah. I think just in general, when you sign a player who's so long associated with Chelsea and he comes to Arsenal and he's, you know, widely respected and everyone thinks he's a great guy and the, even the Chelsea fans still think he's a great guy, I think that's a measure of of the character and personality of Petr Cech. I think he's been a yeah. great professional and, you know, um, maybe it hasn't been quite as successful a, a transfer as we hoped it would be, but I still think, uh, you know, all in all, it's been a positive. Um, and, you know, he's somebody who you would be happy to have associated with, with Arsenal Football Club. So Yeah, certainly. It's been a, a class act uh, <laughs> off the pitch, no doubt at all about that. Favourite Danny Welbeck moment? Well, I, I was tempted to say the Leicester header mm. coming back from injury, and but I think that's tinged with a sort of frustration of the fact that we didn't go on to do it. So I, I'm going to say, I think I'm going to say him scoring at Old Trafford in the FA Cup, but it's because there was a bit of a poetry about that, about him going back mm. to the the manager and the club that had sold him. It was Van Gaal, wasn't it? And and scoring there. So that one for me. How about you? Yeah, I think the Leicester goal, despite the fact that it was in a season of complete frustration you know that moment inside the Emirates I was there I was at that game and it felt (laughs) this is the thing that we have about football isn't it where we go you know you really felt something special there and it turned out not to be that special in the end but just for those few minutes that connection with everybody else in the ground and the way that that goal was celebrated and the the optimism that it it generated within the stadium was amazing. So I have to go with that. Um, and I guess there's no doubt about what's the favourite Aaron Ramsey moment. 2014? Yeah. Yeah, it has to be. One of the best, be. one of the best days of, of my football supporting life. An amazing day out at Wembley. It started so badly and then... And then it just ended amazingly. Incredible. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, obviously the Chelsea Cup final goal has to be up there as well. For sure. But the uh, whole one, like after nine years, yeah. it, it ended the trophy drought. Um, like he scored some amazing goals for us, like the Galatasaray goal, the one he scored last year, the, the kind of little... Um, the dink over the keeper, was it against Seska yeah. Moscow? Um, I think so. There was a volley against Liverpool, I remember, that was brilliant at the yeah, end of the Yeah, there was one, yeah, I was at that game, actually, with the mug smasher as well, so that was equally, that just added to the enjoyment of it. There have been plenty of great Aaron Ramsey moments. I think he's our highest ever goal-scoring midfield player. Central but, midfielder, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you can't look past 2014. It had huge... Uh, value to the club and mm. ended a very long wait for a mm. trophy. 
Well, look, best of luck to Aaron Ramsey in, in Turin with Juventus and Danny Welbeck, wherever he ends up. And I believe Petr Cech is going back to Chelsea. So much as I admire time. him, I hope you have a terrible time, <laughs> Petr. Thanks very much. Now, uh, I have to end the podcast in a weird way, strange way. So you remember last week when we were talking and we had like a, a, a difference of opinion and lots of people were saying, lots of people seem to be affected by yeah. our difference of opinion. Okay. Did you, I mean, based on... Yes, the, I, 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 no, I agree. It was you know. a, a pronounced reaction. Yeah. Well, I think I, it's, you know, since the whole butter, butter and jam thing, it's been relatively <laughs> peaceful on the podcast. <laughs> Since butter and jam gate, yeah, we, we haven't had such a profound disagreement about things. And, you know, to me, it was like, OK, we just have a bit of a disagreement here. But people seem to read quite a lot into it. So the other night, James, I was, um, you know, I'd had a couple of beers, as you do, have a couple of beers. And I, I came across this really weird website called Cameo. Have you heard of this? No, Cameo. Okay. I'm Googling it now. Right. Basically... What it is is a website where you can get vague, well, celebrities, to one extent or another, to record you a video message. Right. Right? So you get them to record. You, you pay them, and it ranges from, like, iced tea is on there. And Sherilyn wow. Fenn from Twin Peaks is on there. Uh, and there are a few people on there. I can't even remember, like, s- some of the more famous people who, who are on that website where you pay them and they they basically record a video message for you. Michael Rappaport. There's loads of sport. I'm looking at it now. It's yeah. crazy. It's mental. It's the, just conceptually, the whole thing was absolutely mental to me. Sean Astin, who was in Lord of the Rings, he was Samwise yeah. Ganji in Lord of the Rings. Corey Feldman. Um, loads of sports Flavor stars. Flavor on there. <laughs> Jennifer Love Hewitt, right? Um, yeah. Loads of people who are on uh, Bam Margera, Brett the Hitman Hart from WWE, Snoop Dogg is on it. Snoop Dogg. Wow. And, so, and they're all different priced according to They're their all different right, according to, Exactly. So I said, I had a couple of beers and I said to myself, you know what would be really funny? Like is, if, I, if I got somebody... Um, to do like an apology message like uh, this is Andrew and I had a real argument with my friend James and I'm very sorry and could you like record an apology message from me to James and could you tell him please if you could do this one thing for me if you could just wish him a goodly morning that's our thing that's our thing together yeah that's our thing that's our thing that we have together so I looked through the entire list of people (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I decided that I would ask the comedian and also podcaster. He does an amazing podcast, the Gilbert Gottfried, whatever it is, podcast. I can't remember the name of his podcast. Wow. You, you know Gilbert Gottfried? Oh, yeah. I saw was, him on the website just now. I was surprised he was there. Uh, let me just uh, uh, let me just get his podcast up here because I'm doing it. He's got a a very particular voice. He does. Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. And he interviews lots of people from like old Hollywood and stuff. And it's it's very good. But he does have a, a specific voice. He was in Aladdin. 
He was one of the characters in Aladdin. He was Iago, I believe. Right. Uh, the the parrot that sits on the baddie's shoulder. Okay. So I I I sent a message <laughs> to, to Gilbert Godfrey saying, uh, could you please record this video for my buddy James McNicholas? We had an awful argument. It's all my fault. And could you wish him a goodly morning? Um, because that's our thing. And this... This is what I got. Okay. <laughs> okay. It, it goes on for a little while, so this is what I got. Like Here that. we go. Hi, James McNichols. This is Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> and Andrew says the two of you had an argument. Now, Andrew says... Uh, he might deny this, but Andrew says he was totally and completely wrong. He was uh, he he was wrong beyond belief, and uh, and not about that, just about everything, everything in his life. He admits, <laughs> and so he really wants to apologize to you, Andrew. Uh, James says anything you want. If you want his ap- got mixed if up you a bit want here. your apartment yeah. painted, uh, James will do it for you, Andrew. Uh, if Andrew, if you want James McNichols to trim your toenails, he'll do it. Or uh, and and he said this. He said uh, James McNichols said that you, Andrew, could take him to the seediest tattoo parlor and uh, have uh, make you put obscene tattoos all over the most painful areas of your body. In fact, in fact, James feels so awful about arguing How am I with that? you. It's my problem now. Yeah, that he said that he'll be your bitch. Uh, that's what James said. Uh, Andrew, James will be your bitch. As a matter of fact, he feels so bad, uh, Andrew, that if if you want to pass James around. To your friends. I don't. And he'll be their bitch too. This is That's what is going on. Bad he feels. <laughs> but anyway, you have a goodly, a very goodly morning. Have a goodly morning, Andrew. Andrew, the goodliest morning you can have. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, I think. <laughs> I'm not it's incredible sure. how it just flips halfway through and yeah. then suddenly it's gone from you apologising to me to I have offered to be your bitch. Yes, I, I don't quite know that he was working off the right script there. <laughs> <laughs> but but it was it was sort of more than I was expecting, I have to no, say. To be fair to him, he you know, he's gone out on a limb there. He's really delivered. He really has. I mean he gave it a good go. That was a good two minutes. Wow, well, yeah. two minutes of Gilbert Godfrey's time. Well, uh, thank you very much, Andrew. I appreciate the gesture. No, not at all. I, I just thought we might get something from a comedy point of view that might be entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we definitely I got, think we actually got that. And I think yeah. actually there's a good, there's probably an audio clip of where, you know, we can just use Gilbert Godfrey saying goodly morning from now on. That's true. So We've got that now. Next season, when Gilbert Gottfried is the manager of Arsenal, we can use his soundbite after every victory. It's going to be amazing. Okay. 
Exciting. Thank you so much. I, I mean, we'll get to use it a couple of times, hopefully, next season at some point. All right. Well, listen, thank you, everybody, for uh, being here with us uh, for another long, protracted, but hopefully entertaining, in some ways, and cathartic Arscast Extra. Um, what have we got this week? Oh, we've got the second leg. The we've semi-final. Got the second leg. Yeah. Are you around on Friday morning? Uh, probably, yeah. Okay. I need to have a look, but I think so. Why All right. Not? Well, why not? Why not? We should have another Arscast Extra on Friday morning then, and hopefully we'll be celebrating the fact that we're in the Europa League final. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed we have the goodliest of mornings. Godly morning. Godly <laughs> morning to you, James. And I would like to uh, just stick things in my ass. Lovely. Absolutely lovely. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it there. I don't know what else to say. I think we've nah. ended this podcast in a way that doesn't have any explanation. Anywhere to go. No. But it'll be memorable, I we've, suspect. We've hit a wall, just like Arsenal. But uh, we'll see what happens on Thursday. Fingers crossed on Thursday. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.